From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. How much productivity did Gangnam Style suck out of the world economy? Well, enough to build three aircraft carriers. The science of rock and roll will give you a behind-the-scenes tour of the hottest ticket in Toronto. It is hot, trust me. Looking to do some shredding while on the go? The creator of FretPen drops by the GNB studios to talk about the coolest gadget coming to your desk today. Plus, a GNB update on the leaked Millennium Falcon photos and why one erotic fan fiction author has gone way too far. Way too far. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. I thought you would like this story being a person on the uh, Business News Network. That's what it stands for, right? Uh, yep, the BNN. Or some days, depending on whether or not our staffing is up to speed, it's MNN, Michael News Network. <laughs> oh, I see. Open Gangnam Style. Yes, so what The Economist did was look at the fact that uh, size Gangnam Style has been viewed on YouTube more than 2 billion times. And they've done a little bit of math. At 4 minutes and 12 seconds per view, that works out to about 16,000 man hours. No, 16,000 man years. It was 140 million man hours. So uh, what they did was they looked at various construction projects and they thought, well, what if we had taken the time we collectively spent watching the Gangnam Style video and put it to good use in terms of (laughs) building things? So, for example... Uh, and they created a nice chart. Uh, they cre- uh, Wikipedia could have been written one and a half times. The London Olympic Park could have been built about twice. They could have built about three American aircraft carriers. We could have built little more than four more great pyramids using the technology of the day of the ancient Egyptians back 2500 B.C., We could have built, one, two, three, almost five more Stonehenges using the technology of the Druids. We could have built one, two, three, four, five, six, and a bit Burj Khalifas, which are the tallest, which is the tallest building in the world in Dubai. I thought it was a wrapper. You know what? Yeah, this Wiz Khalifa. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And we could have built more than 20 new Empire State Buildings in that 140 million man hours. I think that's fascinating. The Economist says there is only one other musician, and I use that term loosely, that comes anywhere near Gangnam Style and the impact it had on the economy, and that is Baby by Justin Bieber. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's things that we could have done. Uh, How many? Okay, hang on just a second. He's got like a billion views. Yeah, I think so. This is the one featuring Ludacris, right? Uh, I have no yep. idea. 1.045 billion views. It it has almost twice as many thumbs down as it does thumbs up. <laughs> it does. That's right. <laughs> Too much time online, and we um, should be maybe using this time to a better use. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, well, that's okay. You're hepped up on the sinus medication right uh, now. Oh, it is. I've, uh, and, and do, sinus do you medication. have a special sinus medication? Uh, I've got a couple of things. I have uh, I have one of those, mm-hmm. which you just, um, I'm using the, uh, the old sipping rum that I got from Mauritius. Oh, isn't that the stuff that basically s- cleared out your sinus passages in one fell swoop? Uh, I've been drinking it for, uh, since we started. Have you noticed anything? <laughs> have you noticed me choking on anything? No. 
You actually seem to have gotten better. So you, you've, you've been forcing yourself to learn how to drink this mm. sipping rum. It's not forcing, but you have to learn how to drink it properly. Otherwise, it'll burn out the back <laughs> of your throat. Okay, so what's the secret to the um, sipping rum? Sip slowly. And don't let it touch your uvula. Pardon? As soon as it touches your uvula, you're going to end up with it up your nose. And at that point, your sinuses will uh, disintegrate. You had mentioned that uh, you were down uh, at a conference recently and you ran into Thomas Dolby and you tried to convince him to get involved in the science of rock and roll at the Ontario Science Centre. Any luck? Still plan to do that. I just haven't had an opportunity to talk to him about this specifically because uh, we've been we've been very, very busy getting the Science of Rock and Roll exhibit up and running at the Ontario Science Centre. You've been getting a ton of play on this. I have been getting a lot of play on this. I'm very happy about it. This after about three, we've done three beta tests. We were in Kansas City, Detroit and Oklahoma City and uh, the Science Centre in Ontario uh, is the oh God, it is one of the premier science centers in the entire world. So this is kind of like the big reveal for the planet. And uh, I'm actually, you know, it opens today, June the 11th, runs until the 26th of October. It's a really cool interactive thing that's good for adults, music nerds, kids, parents. I'm very proud of it, actually. I'm a little bit surprised. There's a little bit of misrepresentation here in the Toronto Star article. There's a photo of you holding a bass guitar. You're not a bass guitarist. You're a drummer. I was learning how to play the bass using one of the interactive kiosks. Ah, good save. So while I never had picked up a bass before I walked into that kiosk, by the time I left it, I could play um, a bass line in a heavy metal song and a bass line in an indie rock song. I didn't know until I read this in the article the uh, evolution of the fuzz pedal. The fuzz pedal actually was a mistake. It was. A guy by the name of Grady Martin, he was a session musician in Nashville. He was called in to do a session with uh, Marty Robbins, and when he plugged in his guitar, something went wrong. And instead of coming out nice and clean, like a lot of country guitarists insisted their guitars sound, it was all fuzzed out and distorted. But since they didn't have a lot of time and a lot of money, they had to go ahead and record it anyway. And they really, really liked the result. So after the session, Grady got together with a couple of engineers and they thought, well, is there a way that we can make guitars distorted on command and to an extent, can we control this distortion on command? And uh, after a couple of years, they perfected something. It was a, a foot pedal called, believe it or not, the Big Muff. And it became the uh, the very first distortion pedal that guitarists began to use. About 1965, 1966, guys like uh, Eric Clapton and J uh, Jeff Beck, Pete Townsend, Jimi Hendrix, and that was the beginning of, uh, on a, you know, the, the whole fuzzed out power chord, heavy metal rock and roll thing. And it was the Rolling Stones with I Can't Get No Satisfaction in 1965 that really hammered it home. They needed a fuzz pedal. distortion pedal and that's uh you know part of the part of the way they got it in 1964 when the kinks were recording you really got me the guitarist had started there but that's because guitarist dave davies took a screwdriver to the uh the paper speaker cone of his amplifier <laughs> and that's how he got the the that distorted sound um that of course isn't very practical because you can't control it and you don't want to be you know wrecking your speaker cones all the time so 
something like a foot pedal was a was a huge step forward. And that's the whole thing behind this science of rock and roll exhibit. It's it shows how uh, rock could not have evolved into what it is today without a lot of science and technology supporting it. When the Rolling Stones came out with the uh, track in 1965, uh, it was written that the brand new Gibson Maestro fuzz tone pedal sold out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, this coincided with the rise of um, you know heavy blues-based rock. And a couple of things happened. The fuzz pedals came out and larger, more powerful amplifiers came out. And people began to realize that, you know, guitars didn't have to sound nice and clean and crisp. They could have some real bite to them. And if you put a fuzz pedal next to or uh, in the signal path with um, a Marshall amplifier, you could basically blow the doors off any place a friend of mine uh, fancied himself a uh, alternative musician and uh, he tells this fabulous story about uh, doing his own version of big jim isn't that a cake song i don't know i think it is uh, and so he's in his apartment he's got the headphones on and he's recording multiple tracks and this was a, a night owl type character so he was up at like two three in the morning recording this and part of what he wanted to accomplish was much of what we're talking about here he took a, an amplifier pointed a microphone at it ran the microphone into the uh, sound system and then had a separate microphone that he would speak some of the lyrics into and it wasn't until he was done that he realized that the poor people who lived in the units beside above and below him at three in the morning would have been lying in bed silent and every once in a while they'd hear big jail <laughs> that's funny it's one of those sounds too that you wake up from the sound but you don't hear the sound that woke you up oh boy <laughs> and just as these people would be drifting back off to sleep, you'd hear, Big Jim! <laughs> oh, he was popular, wasn't he? Oh, I'm sure he was very popular. <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> the show takes you from basically the beginning, the roots of modern rock and roll uh, into what where we are today, I suppose. Essentially, it starts uh, about 1950, although there are some nods to things that happened earlier than that. Carries us through until today. That's uh, one of the galleries that you see when you first walk in it's called the decades of rock then you uh, we have this this really cool interactive um display where we talk about how music has been captured recorded since about 1850 through to the present then there are all the kiosks where you learn how to play various instruments the bass guitar the guitar keyboards drums and then we have some booths where you can sing and other places where you could remix a David Bowie song, where you can learn about the evolution of music uh, hardware from monaural all the way up to 5.1 and beyond. And then there are some areas called, uh, using a, a technology called React Tables, or Reactables, which uh, helps you understand composition and band arrangement. It's very cool. I'm very happy with this thing. You do know I'm friends with your wife on Facebook now. Oh, you are? You know what? You know what? What? I don't think I am. <laughs> you're, you're not a friend of your wife's? You know what? I, I think I know why. And I think I know that that's the, the fact. Because uh, how I got the link to the Toronto Star article about you was she had posted it on her Facebook page with the caption, So, the boy has actually been working. <laughs> not just watching porn in his office for the past year and a half. Uh, oh, <laughs> see, I never saw that because, first of all, I never look at my news feed. And secondly, I don't think I'm... <laughs> 
I don't think I'm a friend of hers on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. You might want to do something about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad husband. Yeah. <laughs> I really am a bad husband. Well, I, I can see why you might not want to be friends with your spouse on Facebook. Um, I've got this problem with wifey. She, she likes to post status updates about us in, in very vague kind of passive aggressive ways. Oh, really? Like the other day, um, she, I turned on the air conditioner and she said, did you turn off the furnace? And I looked at her like she had two heads. I'm like, the furnace isn't going to kick in if the air conditioner is doing its job. It's one or the other. Um, and so about four days later, I turned the air conditioner on again and the furnace and the air conditioner were battling it out for control over the place. It turns out that she had changed the settings on the furnace so that the air conditioner was set to go down to 21. The furnace was set to kick in at 22. <laughs> so you're lucky you didn't have a tornado in your house. So I said to her, yeah, I, I was wrong. You were right. I need to turn off the furnace. And I went to the nest and I hit the off switch. And uh, she posted on Facebook, hell has frozen over. <laughs> because your hus my husband admitted he was wrong regarding something technological. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I know.
<laughs> yeah. What do you think of this rumor that Apple is going to ditch the quarter-inch earphone jack, or the eighth-inch, I suppose, more accurately? They very quietly released some specs last week that will allow headphones to be plugged into the lightning port. Yeah, the charge port on your iPhone. This apparently has, uh, it's got greater throughput for bandwidth, which would allow your phone or your device to uh, give you higher quality audio. It kind of makes a little bit of sense when we start talking about the, the Beats acquisition, because want to bet that the first lightning jack headphones will come from Beats? One of our GMB listeners had pointed out that this sounds an awful lot like something Sony Ericsson would pull. Something... Uh proprietary perhaps exactly sony ericsson's um pre-smartphone era feature phones had a specialized headphone jack that was also the charge jack and the same thing that we're talking about here and i was on the streetcar one day on my way into work and the cable accidentally dislodged it was a very loose fitting connection in the first place and nothing was more embarrassing than having your most embarrassing song in your playlist Blare out for everyone on public transit to hear. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It was uh, Tin Man by America. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, did, uh, and at the next stop, everybody got off. <laughs> everybody looked at me like, yeah, you're the one who ain't got the brain, Mr. Uh, Tin Man. You sound like my friend in Singapore who, who very, very seriously sat down and asked me with a straight face saying, so why do not more people like David Gates and bread? I'd like to make it with you. What? I really think that we could make it good. You remember bread? I do remember bread. Yeah, he could understand why they weren't more popular. Maybe it's a maybe it's a, a another side of the world kind of thing. There, there are musicians who, uh, in North America, we don't spend any time or energy on. Uh, yet they're insanely popular overseas. It, even David Hasselhoff's a prime example of that. It has to do with the fact that uh, Western music came to these countries late in in their societal development, and they did not go through the same sort of musical evolution with Chuck Berry and the Elvis and the Beatles and the Stones that we did. They were just basically dropped into our musical world in the mid-1980s. And their classic rock is Huey Lewis in the News, David Gates and Bread, Whitney Houston, um, Rick Astley. It's, it's pretty ghastly, actually. What you're telling me is they'll never give Rick Astley up. They will never give... Oh, I was looking through my friend's iPhone. Uh, no, he's a hardcore Android user. I was looking through his playlist, and it's you know the coolest thing that he had on his playlist was, was Hall & Oates. Otherwise, everything was just crap. Can't go for that. No. No can do. No. We were looking at a previous episode uh, at the fret pen, the tiniest guitar you'll ever play. This was really cool. I remember seeing this as early as January. It was given to me in a sort of like a embargoed press release. Mm -hmm. Here, have a look at this. Don't talk about it yet. It's coming soon. We'll let you know when, when it's time. So I had to sit on this for a while, and then it was time. And, and now we're going to talk to... Uh, the creator of the fret pen. 
Yeah, Mark Rebke put out an email after I signed up, as we had done during that episode, saying, hey, everybody, turns out I may have misunderstood the demographic for the fret pen in the first place. We call it a fret pen because it's about the size of a pen, looks like a guitar, only has one string, but you can actually play music on it. And he realized that most of the people who were signing up to buy this neat little musical gadget weren't actually guitarists. They were people who had never played an instrument in their lives. Yeah, I mean, what would be easier than playing a one-string guitar. Good to have you with us, Mark. Thanks for having me. This is a really cool little thing. I can see this being a major time suck for a lot of people. You, <laughs> you, you pick this thing up and you just start jamming away on it. and it, it, You listen to it through your, your iOS device, right? And um, yep. explain how easy it is to play this thing. Well, I think, you know, that is kind of one of the advantages. Uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, kind of intimidated by a normal-sized guitar. You know, there's a lot of strings uh, when you're not doing the right thing, you know, a lot of noise can go sideways. So I think with fret pen, because, you know, it's it's a single string and four frets, uh, initially it's very easy to pick up. And uh, what's cool is you're not really limited by that. So you can start with, you know, just kind of getting comfortable with moving your fingers independently, uh, gaining some finger dexterity. Um, but then, you know, once you've got some proficiency, fret pen can still navigate the entire fretboard. And then the, the other cool thing is, you know, the app uh, is really what translates a lot of the sound. So you can choose from different kinds of sounds. So if you're, you know, into acoustic, you can make the app sound like an acoustic guitar. If you, you know, want to wail on some metal, you can, you know, pick a heavier tone. But because it only has one string, I suppose the real power in it isn't the hardware, it's the software. Correct. I think that, you know, there's a, a lot of cool technology in the, in the hardware, uh, but a lot of the value really comes from the capabilities in the software. Well, it would have to, because if you've got one string, how can you actually play chords? Right. So the app can simulate chords. But again, I think that's a real cool opportunity for somebody that's starting out, you know, getting to a G chord. Um, can be a lot of finger wrangling for somebody that really, you know, isn't used to moving their fingers independently, nor are they used to pressing down on strings. So we can simulate, you know, a G chord um, or a power chord on an electric guitar. Do you see this thing as being a gateway drug for people getting into, into actually playing guitars? You know, I sure hope so. Um, I think it does offer, you know, kind of those two things. One is it's portable, so you can take it anywhere. You know, our uh, we found that, you know, time is one of the biggest reasons why people don't play guitar or, you know, quit soon after. So it's something you can take anywhere. Um, but then it, you know, has a, a size and accessibility that make it really easy to pick up. And everything you do on fret pen um, translates to a full-size guitar. So as you're playing a, a BC kind of a, a fingering um, when you get to a full-size guitar that you know same motion is still going to be relevant on on your uh, full-size neck you had 110 backers you're halfway to the $35,000 Kickstarter goal and then you went and canceled the project on May 3rd yeah you know it was a really tough decision but what what it really came down <coughs> to is we had uh, you know significant kind of media interest um, I had done a number of local events. I'm in Colorado. Um, and even an event, uh, San Francisco Music Technology Summit recently. And the the initial reaction, kind of the emotional response that we get from people is, you know, wow, this thing is amazing. Um, I can't wait to get my hands 
on it. You know, some people are like, take my money now. <laughs> um, and so when uh, we launched on Kickstarter, uh, I, I think we, we, we kind of made a big assumption that people would just naturally understand what this thing was and how it would fit in their daily lives, how they could use it. And it, it became clear in kind of our conversion rates, the number of people that visited the um, Kickstarter page to the number of backers that we were off the mark there. And that's why we made the tough decision to pull back. And rather than, you know, we could have gutted that campaign out, but it really was something where there was, you know, there was a mismatch in, in the data. And it was, you know, I think more important for us to make sure that uh, we had a product that we were getting out there that everybody who could take advantage of it was able to see that. And so that's why, you know, we're really um, taking a step back and, you know, we're not materially changing the product, but we're <coughs> focusing on the positioning. And, you know, that's why we're engaging not only the backers, but the hundreds of people that have expressed interest in the product um, before uh, and also after the campaign closed. Okay, so does the campaign get back up and running here? Because I noticed that if you're willing to drop 170 bucks, you get yourself a signature fret pen signed by Queensryche's Parker Lundgren. Right. So the goal is definitely to go back out um, to Kickstarter uh, with some revised positioning. Um, you know, we'll be looking at things like um, pricing as well, but mostly making sure that, you know, we've got a strong video that really plays to the strengths and also the, the target market and some of the learning that we're going to get by um, engaging the community of people that are psyched about fret pen. The, the Queensryche guys are good friends of mine and uh, have been super helpful throughout the process. And so, you know, for the uh, handful of people that signed up for signature editions, I'm sure we'll bring those back. Very cool. I hope you have some real success with this because I would like one. And because I've, I've always wanted to learn how to play the guitar, but I've never had the time. But I can see me sitting somewhere pull this thing out and then just kind of wail away while I'm waiting for my wife to buy fabric or something. Yeah. And that's really, you know, what the product really stemmed from is, you know, I, I played guitar a long time and I found myself with, you know, a busy life like everybody else and travel for work and things like that. I realized there's a ton of places you can't take a full size guitar. And that's why the portability and the size is really important. And so I think if we can, get something in the hands of people that they can take advantage of in those, you know, otherwise down times, whether it's, you know, waiting for your kid to finish soccer practice or, uh, you know, sitting on the train during a long commute. Those are all times where, you know, you could easily knock out 15 minutes of guitar practice. And, you know, I think find in no time that you've got some great skills that you can translate to a, a full size instrument. I'm thinking of me standing in line at the bank on Saturday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Mark, before we let you go, the thing does actually function as a pen, am I right? Right. You know, part of the uh, design was based on the fact that you can take a pen anywhere. You know, uh, a kid's not going to get kicked out of class for a pen or for having a pen. Uh, it's something you can kind of sneak into a meeting or other places. So it was important for me to kind of have that form factor that, you know, really felt like it was something you could truly take anywhere. And, you know, on an airplane seat, you know, in the middle seat, you're, you know, not necessarily going to be elbowing somebody holding something that size. But then the, the beauty is you can plug in the body and, you know, you get unlocked kind of this whole universe of uh, opportunity through the mobile app. 
If you're interested in FretPen, just go to FretPen.com. You can sign up, give them your email address. And uh, when you get back up to speed, you let us all know? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, we'd love for people to visit FretPen.com. They can sign up and really be part of this process um, over the next few weeks. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Mark Rebke of FretPen. Good luck. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We need questions. We haven't had any for a while, have we? No. If you want to ask Alan anything, all you need to do is call 323-319-NERD. We'll put you on the big show. It could be a question about life. Or that suspicious rash, which you're, you're so fond of bringing up. Oh, well, you did admit that you were an expert in suspicious rashes, although I did not inquire further. No, don't. But let me, uh, let me just put everybody's mind at ease. Uh, I am not a doctor, however, I... Uh I'm acquainted with rashes. Oh, hey, just check this out. We've got geeksandbeats.com slash AAA, which is a little internal thing that I use as a reminder as we go through the show that it's time to talk about that or or, or go to the next segment. And uh, I guess at some point you must have linked it on our webpage. I did? Uh, because, yeah, because now I see that Danny, as of March 20th, asked you, he says, Hi, Alan, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the recent NASDAQ delisting of Avid, the parent company of Pro Tools. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, dear. I didn't know that either. No, I have no idea what I have to check in. Avid is um, has been having some some financial issues lately, mm-hmm. uh, and they're off at NASDAQ. Okay, got to follow up on that. Geeks and Beats update. Uh, we were uh, selling the special 50th anniversary edition of the T-shirts, and uh, we only had a couple actually sold, and one of them went to Garth Newton. So he uh, reports that he went out on a field trip. Found himself outside the Indy 88 booth. Yeah, Field Trip was the uh, the two-day concert in Toronto on uh, July 7 and 8th. Exactly. So there he was, standing next to the Indy 88 banner, wearing his Geeks and Beats t-shirt. That's the 8 Indy 88 yurt. The yurt, I see that, yes. Yurts are very popular in some parts of the world. Not here, and I don't know why you guys decided to get a yurt. Because everybody else has a tent. Ah. We wanted a yurt. And a yurt is tent-like, but the structure of it is more of a dome, right? Yeah, it's round. It's dome. I just mm-hmm. retweeted uh, Garth here. Way to go, Garth. Thank yeah. you. Uh, Geeks and Beats update uh, from Steve Feek, who was our uh, guest blogger on the uh, most recent episode and on thegeeksandbeats.com. He is a huge fan of not only Star Wars, but movies in general. And he uh, gave us the expose on the... Millennium Falcon under construction for the next series of movies. Wow, look at these pictures. Yeah, I'm getting Ooh. all Twitter pages just looking at them. Ooh. The neat thing about it is that it looks like they are building an actual size Millennium Falcon. Uh, well, yeah, a full size one. Mm-hmm. Isn't so, that interesting? Where yeah. are they building? This is in LA, obviously. Yeah. Now, TMZ acquired the photos in June, uh, writes Steve, and uh, he points out that Abrams was none too impressed with the leak and then uh, wrote on a little card, quote, I wish people would stop leaking uh, photos from episode seven and make ridiculous claims that the Millennium Falcon is in the movie. Now, that card is sitting on which you as a Star Trek nerd would not know is the 
basically the chessboard that's in the Millennium Falcon itself. Is that what that is? That's what that is. I, don't, I can't remember the name. It's a hollow chess type of, of game that you see Chewbacca play with uh, either C-3PO or Luke Skywalker and, and Solo suggests that maybe it's not wise. You should probably just let the Wookiee win. Right. Now I'm looking at the construction photos Holy crap, this looks like it's in the Boeing factory in Washington. I know, it's massive, wow. absolutely massive. So thank you very much, Steve, for uh, putting pen to paper, as it were, and uh, contributing to geeksandbeats.com. If you're interested in being a guest blogger as well, we'd be more than happy to have you join us. Just go to geeksandbeats.com. There's a big button there on the site. If you can't find it, then we don't think you're qualified to write. But I'm sure you can, because it's not that difficult to find. Uh, fire off your details. Tell us what you want to do. Let's make it happen. See the X-Wing fighter that they're building? I know. Ooh. It's funny. I think as, as a kid, you start off by wishing you were Luke Skywalker. And then as you get older and you mature a little bit more and your tastes become somewhat more refined, you realize that the real cool character is Han. in the Star Wars franchise. Exactly. He's Han yeah. Solo. Yeah. All right. Okay. That's very cool. All right. We'll have to check on that. Sorry, J.J. Abrams. Screw you. Meantime, I found a neat uh, new way to boost the speed of your Wi-Fi connection by 20 times. Okay, I don't believe this at all. It, do it using math. What? Yeah, I know. GigaOM.com uh, reports on this. Uh, this uh, comes to us uh, courtesy of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and a company uh, called uh, that uh, uses a technology called Random Linear Network Coding. You know, RLNC. Oh, sure, yeah, fine. I do that for breakfast. Yeah, exactly. Code on Technologies is the name of the company there. And what they've figured out is you take an algebraic formula, you know, A plus B equals C. Yeah. Uh, and if you know that C equals 100, then you can figure out what A and B are. Okay. Right? I, I'm not the math whiz myself, but I'm trying to, to put it in layman's terms. So the, the problem with, with high-speed Wi-Fi is that if you want to say, hello world, the hello needs to come before the world. Right. If you turn data into an algebraic equation, it doesn't matter whether the A or the B arrives first because you know the C equals 100. Therefore, you can calculate what B is knowing what A and C are, or you can calculate what A is based upon what C and B are. Oh, well, wait a second. I thought this was a hack that you could do on your own machine or phone. This is no. actually, this is something that's going to have to be applied to cellular networks everywhere. And satellites as well. Instead of having to launch new satellites because we're hitting a, a threshold where we just saturate the bandwidth, all we need to do is update the firmware on that little router you've got in your closet or the bird flying through uh, in orbit and actually use math to increase the speed of your internet connection by 20 times. That's, it's very clever. Okay. No, I, I would, no, I would have never figured this out. Oh, nor would I. No. I'm, I'm still reading the article. I'm still trying to go through it. But you did a pretty good ex explanation of what this is all about. Okay, so all we have to do is get companies like Qualcomm to adopt this technology or adopt this coding method and decoding method, and, and we're in business, right? Exactly. Before there was Fifty Shades of Grey, E.L. James wrote fan fiction based on the characters of Twilight. Yeah, this is really sad. Apparently on her Blackberry. And that, after a while, morphed into uh, the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing because the publishers were worried about all sorts of copyright infringements on the on the Twilight stuff. If I recall correctly, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey was in fact Twilight fan fiction originally, and then uh, they they changed the names, and you know, there you go. 
uh, to 50, protect the innocent. Yeah, 50 million books later. So now, I mean, fan fiction is a big deal. I remember uh, years and years ago, there was a lot of Star Trek fan fiction. After the original series went off the air before The Next Generation came on, there were a lot of books written uh, about Star Trek, a lot of, um, you know, that, that, that were based on the characters but were, you know, novels. My favorite uh, Star Trek fan fiction uh, was the uh, the gay Star Trek fan fiction in which Spock and Kirk yeah. were lovers. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> for some, that was uncomfortable. But for me, I found it amusing for those who would be would find it uncomfortable. Um, but there were some other more legitimate ones, like there's a, a novel called Spock Must Die and a few others that, that I remember reading. Wait a minute. Back up, back up. Are you telling me that Kirk and Spock are not legitimate lovers? Uh, listen, I have a, I know Captain Kirk personally. <laughs> yes, that's right. What am I saying? I can't believe we buried the lead. lead. There you go. However, it's not. It can be unburied now because uh, I was. We were. We usually do this podcast on Sunday nights, but the chat was in Niagara at a comic convention, and uh, I sent him. Oh, wait a sec. Where's my phone? Hang on here. Yeah, we had to push this entire recording session back because the chat was in town. And when the chat calls you up and says, hey, why don't we do dinner? You don't say, uh, do you think the day after will work for you? Uh, here we go. Here's the message. Alan, this is Alan, Bill Shatner. Um, I get into Niagara quite early in the morning. And I'm there all day. Maybe we have a chance to meet for dinner uh, in the evening. Uh, that'll be Sunday evening. Um, I'll give you a call at a when I get in at a at a reasonable uh, hour in the morning. Take care. First of all, it surprises me that he sounds exactly in his voicemail messages the way he does when he acts. Yes. Uh, and second, uh, that's he figured you'd just up and drive three hours out of your way to go have dinner with the Shad. Hey, listen, Captain Kirk says you want to have dinner. You go have dinner with Captain Kirk. Oh, well, then maybe he could have beamed you up. Uh, what was what was the gist of it? How'd it go? What, what, what's what's the big takeaway? Uh, listen, it, it, it had to be canceled. I got a text from <gasps> him. I know. I got a text from him on uh, Sunday afternoon saying, you know, it's just too crazy. I can't do it next time. So there, uh, it's unfortunate. You know, he's the marshal for the Calgary Stampede. Yeah, there was this big thing about whether or not he's going to come in on in a, in a classic car or on a back of a horse. Well, if he comes on the back of a horse, you know what that means. Uh, no. He's horse shat. Oh, boy. He is a huge horse guy. He actually has a, a ranch in Kentucky. And if he comes in a classic car, I'd be shocked. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to the fan fiction. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, fan fiction after Fifty Shades of Grey has become this area that editors and publishers are are, are, are are searching through, trying to find the next Twilight that become that can become Fifty Shades of Grey. So they found this woman named Anna Todd. She's 25 years old, and she's been writing fan fiction based on the British boy band One Direction. And apparently she's done well enough over three serialized novels, uh, which tell the story of a young woman's erotic awakening courtesy of Harry Styles of the band, She's uh, got a mid-six-figure deal for the rights to this, and she's also signed with an agency to negotiate film and TV rights. This will show up in stores just in time for Christmas. I find this absolutely depressing. My wife, by the way, has a very good book, female-friendly erotic fiction. It's called St. Bart's. Buy it on iTunes. Uh, sorry, buy it on Amazon now. No contest. So One Direction erotic fan fiction. Clearly, she's a masochist. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 
Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.